Well, thank you for being here tonight. I would venture to say that the subject we're going to look at tonight is probably one that perhaps you've not studied before in your Bible. I can't say for sure, but I would guess that probably uh, you have not uh, considered uh, this subject too often in your Bible study, but we're going to look at it tonight, and I hope this will be a blessing to you. I hope you'll get something that you can apply to your life, and maybe when you look at some of these details in the Bible, that you might be encouraged to dig in. Uh, delve in a little bit further uh, to see how God's Word might be able uh, to speak uh, to us. So let's begin. Did you know that donkeys are mentioned 153 times in Scripture? They were originally wild animals who lived in the semi-desert mountains of North Africa. Strong animals sure-footed. They had the capacity to survive in hard, rough, and rocky terrain, uh, even where forage was scarce and grazing was difficult. It's believed that donkeys were domesticated around 300 BC in the uh, region of the Nile River Valley. And for many centuries, a donkey was one of the most basic possessions uh, of anyone who could afford uh, a beast such as that. Possession of ordinary people. Uh, they were the, the main means of transportation for wealthy people and for common, even poor people. A donkey is able to be able to carry a heavy load. And it's reported that many times they would travel as beasts of burden with heavy loads up to 20 miles a day. They were also used often to turn those heavy grindstones uh, that were used to, to grind meal and corn. And donkeys were even of great agricultural value because a single donkey was strong enough to be able to pull a simple plow. Did you know donkeys were uh, significant in the Old Testament? Would you look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 16 with me for just a minute? Actually, let's begin in verse 14, because Abram is going down to Egypt with his wife Sarai. And in verse 14 of uh, chapter 12 of Genesis, we read, And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. You see, Sarai was, a, was beautiful. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And now look what Pharaoh gave to Abram. He entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses. Those are male donkeys. 
and men servants and maid servants and she asses, those are female donkeys, and camels. Because of Sarai, Abram became a very wealthy man because of Sarai and because of Pharaoh in Egypt. Well, no doubt, as you continue reading this narrative of Abraham there, uh, known at this time as Abram, God had not yet changed his name, but those donkeys became very instrumental. They became a very important part in Abram's journey from Ur of Chaldees to the land of Canaan. You see, that journey involved a, a, a very large and long stretch of what was near desert land. And these donkeys were perfect pack animals for Abram on that journey. Scripture also tells us, you know, that Job was a very wealthy man. And we're told in Job that part of his wealth consisted of a thousand female donkeys. Well, the account probably of the most well-known donkey in all of Scripture is the one found in Numbers chapter 22. And I, I would really encourage you, if you have time, to read that account in Numbers 22 because it's that donkey who belonged to the prophet Balaam. And many of you know that story. That donkey, that donkey spoke audibly to that wayward prophet. Well, even though a donkey was considered a, a simple beast of burden, a work animal, uh, an animal of the common people, uh, it was not considered undignified for wealthy people, wealthy men especially, to ride on donkeys. We're told in the book of uh, Judges that on at least two occasions, sons of the judges of Israel rode on donkeys. It was common practice in peacetime, even for a king, to ride on a donkey. You see, probably because if he were to ride a horse, uh, that would be more closely associated with war than it would be a time of peace. So therefore, for the king during peacetime, a donkey was his animal of choice to ride upon. Well, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, there's a prophecy about a donkey. It tells that one day, Israel's king was going to come, come to the people riding on a donkey. That's the donkey we want to look at tonight. And hopefully we'll learn some life lessons from a donkey. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight with a simple thought upon our hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray that you will use this to speak to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the importance of every single word and every single account that we read in your word. 
And Lord, that there is something there for us. Lord, there are nuggets of gold that we can mine to apply to our lives and to make part of our arsenal of weapons against the devil. And Lord, um, should we spend 10,000 lifetimes, we could only scratch the surface of what your word has to teach us. I pray tonight, Father, that we might learn some very simple but profound lessons as we look at this donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that Sunday many, many years ago, the one that we know was Palm Sunday in his triumphal entry. Speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's the background of the story. Now, Jesus had just recently raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, as you know, lived with his sisters Mary and Martha in Bethany. And Jesus had just recently raised Lazarus uh, from the dead. That's recorded for us in, in John chapter 11. Well, a short time later, we find that Jesus once again is in Lazarus's hometown of Bethany. Now, this time when Jesus leaves Bethany, he heads a few miles to Jerusalem for what would be the very, very last time. Because a short time later, as we know, he would be sent to the cross and he would die for the sins of the world. But one week before that, he enters Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday and what we call the triumphal entry. There are three accounts of this, one in each of three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I'd like for us just to read those, and then let's see if we can make some application to what we read about this donkey and his owner. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 21, if you would, please. We'll start there, and then we'll also read this same account in Mark and in Luke. But let's look at Matthew chapter 21, beginning uh, in verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strode them in the way. Now let's look at the same account 
from the perspective of the Gospel of Mark. Look at Mark chapter 11, if you would. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1 also. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loosed him. And certain of them that stood, stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? They said unto them, Even as Jesus has commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strode them in the way. One more in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 29. And it came to pass when... He was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereupon never man sat. Loose him and bring him thither. And if any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found, even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. Three accounts of the same event. Three accounts recorded in three of the four Gospels. Keep in mind that Jesus was entering Jerusalem at the time of Passover. Passover was one of the most sacred and celebrated holidays of the Jews. As you recall, it was the commemoration of the time in Egypt when the death angel, that last night that the children of Israel were in Egypt, that death angel came by to claim the life of the firstborn of everything in Egypt. And those Jews who had taken the blood, put it on the doorposts and the lintels, were spared. And that death angel passed over that house and did not claim the life of the firstborn because they were under the blood. 
The Feast of Passover commemorated that event. It was the official time of remembrance in all of Israel and a celebration of Israel's official time of deliverance from their bondage in Egypt. Uh, it's estimated, it's been estimated that during Passover week in Jerusalem that there were in excess of 100,000 lambs that were slain as Passover offerings. Blood ran freely in that city during the time of Passover. And that's, that's the time when Jesus is going to enter into the city of Jerusalem for the very last time. Passover was one of the most important days of the Jewish religious year, and enormous crowds would gather for the celebration. No doubt, many of them were curious. They were anxious to see this one who, for a number of years now, had healed the blind. He'd restored their sight. He had given healing to lepers. He had caused the lame to walk. And now, he had just recently raised a dead man back to life. Many were curious. They wanted to see this man, Jesus, coming to Jerusalem. Well, there were also others in that crowd who weren't quite so friendly, such as the Pharisees, those religious leaders who were very bitter. They were full of jealousy and hatred, and they wanted him to be done away with once and for all. So it was a mixed bag of people who were probably in that crowd that day. But you know, Jesus did something very, very unusual. As you read through the Gospels and study Jesus' ministry during the time that he was on earth, whenever he would enter into a village or a town, he always did that in a very humble, unassuming way. No fanfare, no great celebration, Crowds did not laud his appearing. He went very humbly, very quietly, very inauspiciously into a town or city. But this time, Jesus did something very, very unusual. Instead of discouraging a public uprising and demonstration, he incited one. Why did he do that? Well, I think Matthew just told us. One of the reasons why Jesus did that was to fulfill that prophecy in Zechariah 9. The king was coming. And when the king came, he was going to be riding on a donkey, meek and lowly, riding the donkey. But I think there's another reason why Jesus this time came with pomp, came dramatically, came with great demonstration, and actually encouraged it. I believe he came to reveal himself openly and publicly 
as Israel's king and Messiah. Because you see, this was one last opportunity for Israel to recognize their king, to repent, and see Jesus as their king. He was giving Israel one last chance to repent and recognize that he was their king, riding in as a king. Well, the Bible tells us that he and his disciples were passing by Bethphage. Bethphage means house of figs. Remember in our, our previous Bible studies, whenever you see Beth, that means house of. Bethphage is house of figs. That was a very fitting name for that village because it was in a region where figs grew abundantly. And they're passing by this, this uh, little uh, village, and the Lord sends two of his disciples into that village. In all three accounts, we see that that village is over against you. That little village right over there. He sends two of his disciples in there for the purpose of procuring, of all things, <laughs> a donkey for him to ride into the city of Jerusalem. Well, then, as they traveled on somewhere along that road, Jesus and his followers met those two disciples who had that donkey. In Mark uh, 11, 25, we learn something there. We learn in Mark eleven twenty five. Or, I'm sorry, Mark 2 through 5, Jesus said, Soon as you be entered into that village, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any say, Why you do this, say that the Lord hath need of him, and he'll send him hither. They went, found the colt, Tied by the door without, just like Jesus said, and they loosed him. And sure enough, they were questioned, why are you loosing the colt? They said, even as Jesus commanded, they let him go. You see, Jesus knew everything about that little donkey. Sometimes Jesus would ask questions in order to gain information and uh, to find out what people were thinking. He already knew, but he would ask them questions to elicit certain information from them. But in this case, did you see in this case, he demonstrated his divine, perfect, complete knowledge of people, things, and events. Jesus knows everything. He knew exactly where the colt was located. A place where two ways meet. Now he knew right where that colt was tied, right near probably an intersection. 
He knew it had never been written, written before by anyone. He knew that it was tied up. He also told the disciples, now they're going to ask you why you're loosing the colt. And that it would be made available to him. Jesus also knew all about that little donkey's owner. They'll let you have the donkey. Be reminded that Jesus knows everything about you and me, just like he knows everything and knew everything about that little donkey. Do you know that our Lord was bestowing upon the owner of that donkey the unique privilege of ministering to the master of the universe and giving him a part in fulfilling Bible prophecy. This little donkey was going to bear the one who in just a few short days was going to bear the weight of the world by taking all of your sin, all of my sin, and all the sins of the entire world and bear them upon the cross. John Phillips had an interesting observation. John Phillips suggests that if this man was still alive when this account was written in the Gospels and he would hear it read, he would say, that was me. That was me who did that for Jesus. You think he'll have a great reward in heaven? He sure will. Well, Combining weakness with majesty and meekness, the Lord Jesus entered into Jerusalem. His triumphal entry not only fulfilled the prophecy, but it also was his last appeal. He gave Israel one last chance to recognize him, to repent, and to claim him as their king. Well, what are some things that we can learn from this little donkey? Let's, let's see if we can make some application. First of all, the donkey was sought by the master, Jesus. The Lord knew all about him. He called that donkey unto himself. That donkey was transformed. Because you see, that donkey no longer belonged to his owner. He became the possession of the one who created him, the possession of the one who had the power and the authority to secure him and to make him his own. That donkey was sought by Jesus. That donkey was released from bondage by Jesus. Bible tells us he was tied up. You see, he was constrained. He had life, but he didn't have any liberty. He was in bondage without the ability to free himself. When the disciples were questioned about setting the, the colt free, they just simply said, the Lord hath need of him. And he was set free from his bondage. Untied, loosed, and on his way from the master, he was set free 
from his bondage. But once he was set free, he was ruled by the master. You see, he wasn't set free just to gallop off and go his own way. He was secured by the master of the universe. Jesus Christ took him as his own possession for a purpose. And he was brought under the power, control, and authority of the Lord Jesus. That donkey surrendered his will to the will of the master. Jesus, it tells us, rode that donkey. That donkey went wherever Jesus wanted him to go. He did whatever Jesus wanted him to do. You see the power of the Creator? You see the power of the Savior? Not only did this unbroken and untrained donkey submit to the master's control. But he calmly proceeded through a wild and raucous crowd, cheering, waving palm fronds, and casting their garments in front of his feet. He was under the control of the master. The Bible's very clear in telling us that it was an untrained, unbroken donkey who'd never been ridden before, but under the control of the master. Do you see the picture of the Christian life sought by the master, released from bondage, and ruled by the master? What a picture! of the Christian life. Well, what do we learn from the donkey's owner? Let's not forget about him. The owner possessed something that was common and ordinary, owned by many, many people. Many people owned a donkey. But he possessed something that could be of great value and use to the Lord Jesus. The Lord knows about everything that you are. He knows about everything that you own, everything that you possess. You may have some things that seem insignificant. They seem unimportant. They may seem useless. But you may have something that could be of great value to the Lord. The owner possessed something that could be of use to the master. Secondly, how did the owner respond when in all three instances those disciples said, the Lord hath need of him? He surrendered his donkey, didn't he? It was just a donkey. But maybe that was that owner's prized possession. We don't know how wealthy he was. For all we know, that could have been the prized possession of that owner. May have been of great importance. May have been of great value to the man. But he was willing to surrender it 
and give it to the Lord. And he gave his donkey to the Lord for the purpose of honoring, exalting, and putting the Lord Jesus Christ on display where everyone could see him and where he could be glorified. Life lessons from a simple little donkey. How about you? How about me? If you're here tonight and and you're saved, do you realize that you might be like the owner of that donkey? You might tonight be in possession of something that the Lord really has need of, something that he wants to use for his honor and his glory. In the case of the accounts that we just read, it was a simple donkey. But that donkey was surrendered to the Lord by its owner so that the Lord could use it for his own honor and glory. Do you have something tonight? Do you have something that you might think is just insignificant, maybe unimportant, um, but nonetheless something that God might be able to use? Maybe you have some gifts or talents that the Lord would love to use. Maybe it's a gift or a talent that the Lord hath need of tonight. Maybe you have the abilities to do some things in the Lord's service that you've not currently surrendered to him for his honor and glory. The Lord hath need of him. Maybe you have a talent to sing or play an instrument. Maybe that's the donkey that you possess that you could give to the Lord to use for his honor and glory. Maybe you have the ability to give, to support others, to support the work of the Lord, the church, and missionaries. Maybe you can be a blessing to others in a material or financial way. Maybe you have some other skill that you can use, maybe work with your hands in the service of the master. Do you have a donkey that you might be willing to give to the Lord tonight? Whatever your donkey might be or whatever you have, are you willing to give it to the Lord so that he can be glorified and so that others can be blessed? Do you have something that you could give to the Lord so that it could be used by him to honor and glorify himself and to show his glory and majesty to others? Are you willing to surrender your donkey to him? If you're saved tonight, I I hope that you would. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, tonight would be a wonderful opportunity because there's a lesson for you from this little donkey also. Maybe you've never admitted to God that you're a sinner and asked Christ to be your savior. But you know, if you're here in that condition tonight, do you know the Lord is seeking you? As he sought out that donkey, knew everything about him, he sought out that donkey. 
and picked him out to become his own possession. He wants you to be set free from your ropes and chains of bondage just like this little donkey was, and he's the one who can do it. He wants to transform you. He wants to make you his possession. And he'll even use you to bring honor and glory unto himself. If you're not saved tonight, be like this little donkey. The master sought him out. The master set him free. And the master used him for his honor and glory. Whether you're saved tonight or whether you're not, I hope that you'll learn some life lessons from a little donkey. We're going to have an invitation in just a minute. If you have something that you want to surrender to the Lord tonight, gift, talent, ability, whatever your donkey is, please do that. You don't have to come forward to do it, but do that in your heart and mind. Surrender what you have that can be used by the Lord. Remember, the Lord hath need of him. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, the master's searching, searching for you. He's seeking you out. He wants to set you free, and he will if you'll come to him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, I hope this simple thought of lessons that we can learn from a little donkey might help us to see you in all of your honor and glory all of your majesty and power, Lord, that you know all about us, that you desire for us to serve you, that we have things even in our lives that we possess that we can surrender to you for your honor and glory, that you might be lifted up for others to see. And Lord, that those who may not know you as personal Savior, that they'll learn the lesson that you're seeking them tonight that you want them to become your possession. You want them to surrender their will to your will. And Lord, that you'll forgive their sins, give them a home in heaven where they might live forever with you. Lord, we thank you for the account of this little donkey and his owner and how he's greatly used to honor and worship and glorify the Lord. Lord, be with us now during this time, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to come and pray tonight, please feel free to do that. If you have another need that you need to come for, uh, we would be honored uh, to help you with that as well. Let's stand, uh, come as we sing.